Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Carol Graham, and with me today is Joseph Obeto Lambe. He is a motivational and inspirational speaker. He is speaking with us today from Norway. He is a teacher and founder of the organization, which is nonprofit, called Give Them Hope. So that goes right along with what we're talking about on this show. It's an organization helping women and children affected by the Liberian Civil War in the 1990s. Joseph is also an active volunteer of the Prison Fellowship Norway, and he holds a bachelor degree in religious studies. He uses transformational attitude to help business owners, organizations, corporate groups, students, and the hopeless. He's a busy man. He has transformed his life using these techniques, and he's going to share them with us today. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you, Cara. Oh, I love your accent. <laughs> I hope Thank I didn't you. murder your name too too badly. No, no, you didn't at all. Okay. Well, first of all, when I was reading your bio, Joseph, you said that you have experienced many horrors in your life and you have literally had to fight for survival. Now, that can be on many different levels. I understand that. And many people have gone through similar experiences. But we want to hear, when did this start? And was it when you were a child? Just share that with us, if you would, please. Uh, thank you, first of all, Carl, for the opportunity to be here and to be interviewed by you. Uh, I'm totally grateful, and I appreciate you very much for that. You're very welcome. Thank you. Well, uh, I grew up in Liberia. I was born by my mother and my dad. But then growing up as a child in Liberia, uh, I had a very difficult beginning. I had a very difficult beginning, the fact that uh, my dad and my mom left me with my with my grandmother and had to travel to Monrovia, which is the capital city, in order for survival. Oh, they my had to goodness. Travel. Yeah, they, they left me in small because my grandmother had only a boy child. And this boy child, while growing up at the age of 10, he was at his friend's house passing the night, and then he was poisoned, and he died. So that was the only boy child that my grandmother had. And because of that, when, I, when my mother delivered with me, she thought it wise to take care of me so that I could be her child as well, which okay. is common, common in our society, okay. in, our, in our tradition. 
So because of that, my mother and my dad left me with my grandmother in the village and traveled to Monrovia. So as a result, as I speak to you now, I do not have that close connection with my mother because of growing up with my grandmother. So I consider her to be my my mother, right. I consider her to be my dad and everything. Yeah. Right. Now, tell me one thing uh, before you continue. Now, you said that your parents fled for their own survival. Um, mm-hmm. Survival from, and just explain that a little bit. Survival from poverty to getting themselves something like education, job, and the rest of that. Okay. Because it was difficult. We, we, they, they were all poor. And then my father, after they traveled to Monrovia, he had to become a military man while my mom went to school. So that's how it started. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And do you, are your parents still alive? Yes. Uh, my mom is alive. My grandmom died a long time ago. That was around uh, 19... 85. Okay. She passed. But my, my mom is alive, but my dad, unfortunately, died in the Liberian Civil War. Oh, that he was did. around ni- 1990, yes. He was killed. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. So you grew up under stress and you understand stress. Yes. I grew up under stress. I understand that very well. So what else would you like to share with us about your childhood and, and how did this form your attitude that uh, you obviously have a very positive attitude now. What in your childhood helped with that? Okay. What helped me with that in my childhood was a guardians from my grandmother, right? It was like I, I came up as a humble child, and I, before then, I was very arrogant. I was getting always into fight at the age of four, five, six years around there. I was I was very, very arrogant, getting into fight. But the problem was I was always being beaten by people, all right? And then my grandma would call me and then cry. I said, when will you become a man? When will you be stronger to revenge, you know? So eventually, as I was being beaten, eventually I got, I, I became more stronger with time. I, as I was beaten, I became stronger. And then eventually I was strong. But then what happened was I would get into fight and then I would beat those people. And then their parents, I would beat my friends and their parents would come with me to my grandmother to tell what I have done to their children. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So that in the presence of their parents, my grandma would like get angry with me. She would talk to me. Don't do that. You are so arrogant. Bring your hair down. Stay at home. But then after they turned their back, after they left, she would like embrace me, put me <laughs> in her <chest>. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you do? Did you continue? <laughs> Who would, who did you decide to please? Your grandmother or did yeah. You- <laughs> so she said, yeah, she said Joseph, that was good because you would be beating for a long time. I'm <laughs> proud of you. You'll become stronger. That's how the man should be. Okay. Yeah. So, so you learned yeah. how to fight, and that helped yeah. you later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she told me. She told me something. She said, "Well, if you learn how to be strong, not only through fighting, but you're gonna be strong in doing whatever you can to help yourself in times to come." That's right. She yeah. was a wise woman. 
Yes, she was. And she was, I mean, the problem was with my mom or my grandmother was she, she wasn't, she didn't go to school. She didn't step in the classroom. She didn't know what parenting was all about. She didn't know being a, you know, a child psychologist and what. She didn't know about anything. So she just used her natural mentality to guide me along the way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Now, was your grandmother in poverty as well? Of course, of course. Okay. Of course. So, was, yeah. How mm-hmm. did, as a little boy then, mm-hmm. did you think about what things would be like if you weren't in poverty, or was that not part of your thinking? Oh, it was part of my thinking, Kara. If I went to school, I went to school, my grand, she didn't have anything. You know, we have certain, uh, we know, you know, palm oil. Palm yeah. oil, you know that okay, there is certain they they, they are uh, the knot of that palm oil is what my mom she my grandmother used to dry that and then crack it and sell it before she sent me to school. So the problem I, I knew when my eyes were like open when I started in the primary school, say my friends going, I mean changing we, we used uniforms at the time by the way. Changing uniforms, they have like two to three pairs of uniform, right? right. And then I I'm going just with one pair of uniform. So I feel like wow, there are rich people in the world. Why am I so like this? And I have, I, I mean, my friends, I wear what they want to wear. They have the shoes they want to wear. But then with me and I have nothing. And then I would tell my grandmother eventually that this is what is happening. And then she would tell me, Joseph, all the five fingers you see are not equal. Some are shorter, some are longer, and some are in the middle, right? I say, yes. What does it mean? She said, well, some people in the world are poor, some are richer, and some are even poorer. And we fall in the poorer group. Yeah. So that she told me that's how it is. And so did you, but you didn't accept that, did you? No, I didn't accept that at the time. I didn't accept that. I said, but, I said, but mom, is it always going to be like this? She said, no, it's not always going to be like this. It's going to change with time. But before it can change, you have to change. Because if you change, then of course you can change situation. It doesn't mean that if you are born in poverty, you're going to remain poor and die poor, but you can be born in poverty, and then eventually you can change your mentality, change your attitude, change your negative attitude to positive attitude, and then you can become somebody to do what you want to do in life before you leave this world. But it is changeable. It's something that can change. It's not permanent. So obviously she was planting the seeds that you needed and and they began to grow yes now when when did you actually sense a change i don't want to skip too far ahead of your story but mm-hmm. at what mm-hmm. point in your life did you realize that you could take control and actually do something to change your life okay the time that i decided to change was when i turned 10 years old <clears throat> When I turned 10, I decided to leave my grandmom. And we have, you know, in our culture, a child can grow up in a neighborhood and be raised by everybody there. Right. If you do something wrong in the presence of somebody else, whether he is your dad, he is your mom or a neighbor, he is going to punish you for that. So then being a family, growing up as a child, we had another relatives that live far away, like home like two to three hundred kilometers away from our village. And then she was there, my aunt, she got married to somebody, and then I had to, at the age of 10, I had to leave my, my grandmother to go to her for a better future. 
So and then I left my my grandmother. She cried. She didn't want me to go, but I decided that I'm going to do something in order to become somebody tomorrow. If I stay with my grandmother, it's always going to be the same thing. So the story is going to be the same story. I want to change something. So did did you leave the country? Did you what happened? No, 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 no. I didn't leave the country. What I did was I left our village, and I left our village to another village. Okay, but that was very far away. At the time, we never had. We, there was no mobile, no mobile telephone. Right. I mean, we just messages used to be sent from one person to the other. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I had to leave without even sending a message that I was coming. I left at the age of 10, got on a car with the money that my grand gave me. I left and got on a car, and then I went to my, my, my aunt at the age of 10 years old. My goodness. But your yeah. grandmother didn't know you were leaving, right? She knew. I, she I did told know. her. Yeah, she okay. did know, but she didn't want me to leave. Of course, of mm. course. It must have been hard for her, too. It was hard. It was yes. hard. So what did you do when you got to the new village? When I got to the new village, I decided to go to school. And then uh, we had, it, it is an agricultural farm. They had a big agricultural farm. So I got myself into business. I was like, you know, working for people for money at the age of 10, 11, and 12. I was doing that. It meant I, in fact, I used that money that I got from the contract that I had to make at a time, I used that money and I bought the first wrapper from my from my grandmother. I used that money and I bought it was five dollars, five Liberian dollars, which could be like one fifty or two fifty American dollars now. I used that to buy the first wrapper for her. And I sent it over to her because I knew she had nothing. So that's where my self my self motivation started actually. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that sounds pretty exciting <laughs> yeah. for you for a young man. I mean, you, that would mm-hmm. grow you up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I was there like working for people for money, and then at the same time going to school. So I eventually got, you know, out of uh, 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 when I started school, I started from the first grade to the second grade, the fourth grade, and the fifth grade. Okay, and at the same time working. So when I got into the sixth grade, that was around 1989, December, when the Liberian Civil War emerged. Okay, that's so that's the next step then. Yeah, 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 that was the next step. Okay, so that that was a huge thing in your life, I believe, right? It affected you in many ways. Let's talk about, first of all, how Mm. that affected you and then um, about your – you were actually in a refugee camp as well, right? Mm. Yes, I was. Before the refugee camp, uh, I was in Liberia when the war came, so I had to leave. Mm Mm-hmm. You left. Yeah. So, okay. When I left my grandmother and went to a different place in order to, in pursuit of education. Right. While there, and then my grandmother passed away. Okay. So that, that broke me down. It broke me down when I heard it. I mean, it took, it took like a month or two before somebody told my aunt and then my aunt had to tell me. And before telling me, she had to ask people around because she knew I grew up with her and I, I consider to be my everything. Right. So, you know, losing her at such a young age as I was, she felt it as well how to, how to you know, like approach me on that issue, right? And then she had to gather people around and then eventually told me and then I cried. So I couldn't see her anymore. So around 1989, 
when the civil war emerged. And so then what happened? So what happened was, I was December 24, 1989, I had prepared to go back home. Though knowing that my, grand, my, my grandmother was no more, my mom had left and went, she had left and gone to the village for the Christmas season. So then I said, okay, I'm leaving as well to go back home, at least to spend the Christmas season and come next, next semester. So when I got on a car, from where I was to the next, the, that's the provincial capital city. It's the provincial capital city for our region. It's called Sanicole. So while on our way to Sanicole, the news broke that there is war in the country. So my plan of going to spend a Christmas with my mom and her relatives changed totally. I didn't reach to our village. I left far away and then the war became serious. So I had to leave and jump into the jungle with people that were traveling from the country to the other country, to the Ivory Coast. So I jumped with total strangers and we spent like a month and some more in the bushes, finding our way to the Ivory Coast. So I lost contact. We were separated. Wow. Yeah, I did not reach home with the, for the Christmas celebration and I didn't see them. So I had to separate from them and I went with other people to the Ivory Coast. You're in the jungle. What goes through a young boy's head? Were you in fear or did you oh, feel that you were going to be able to get through? What kept you going? I was terrified, Kara. I was terrified. I mean, war was everywhere. People were fighting everywhere. And then I was, I was terrified. I was really terrified as a young child. And at this time, I had turned 15. So being a 15-year-old child with other people, not people that you do not know, fighting and running away for survival, I did not know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to get. But my fear was being put into an ambush by the rebels because they were like setting ambushes everywhere in the villages, in the towns, in the bushes. So you did, I never knew what could become of men afterwards. Right. But I was terrified and then thinking, but one thing I had in my mind was if I survived this and got across the river, things will be better. So that was your goal. You yes. had a goal. You mm -hmm. focused on your goal, just yeah. getting there. So how yes. long did that take? How long of a time period was that to get there? Uh, it was, we spent a month, two months, approximately two months in the jungle, in the bushes. I mean, drinking on sand water, eating roots, anything that we could find that was edible, we were eating that. How many people? Oh, it was a large group of people, very large, approximately 100, 150. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 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 in itself is scary because you don't yes, know, yeah. you know, no, what people no. do during survival tactics either. Yes. That's all part of the. You sleep with one eye open, right? Yeah, yeah, well, of course. We sleep, in, <laughs> we sleep in, in an open area. I mean, uh, we could sleep anywhere, anywhere that the. I mean, when the night fell, you just stay there and you sleep, and then the next morning you start moving over again. That's what we did. Now, in this particular jungle where you were traveling through, was there wildlife to be concerned about as well? Of course, of course, of course. It was. 
we have wildlife, we have personals, animals that were like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a rainforest. In okay. Africa, a rainforest is a dangerous place. I'm telling you. I mean, we had a lot of wild animals around, but then as God will have it, you know, sometimes when we are in a situation and think that things are bad, I mean, you do not know how God can get you saved, you know. He had his hand on you. He had his hand. He had his hand on me, and I can say that. He had his hand on me, and I decided to just move on because I knew that I could survive it. Did everybody um, arrive safely, or did you lose some along the way? Oh, of course. We, I mean, people died of starvation. I mean, people died of, I mean, a lot of, yes, waterborne diseases. Of course. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. We, we lost a lot of people along the way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what happened when you arrived? Yes, what happened when I arrived in the Africa Coast as a 15-year-old child? I knew nobody around, I mean, but, you know, there is something good about society as well. What happened was when I arrived to this village, people from our, from our village who knew me had also arrived. And then my, my uncle, that is from my, 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 my dad's older brother, right? Right. His elder brother had arrived, and then he was serving as a refugee chief, as a chief for the refugee from our village. Okay. So when I arrived, they said, oh, Joseph has arrived. I mean, the news when I got to him, and then he had to send people over. Okay, we are here. I'm the chief. Come over. Okay. So then I went to my uncle, and that's where I was again. And then when I was there, I had no contact with my mom, with my siblings, nobody from the other area. And then eventually, we understood that they too had crossed the border safely. Amazing. So I was, uh, yes, I left with my aunt, with my aunt, uh, with my uncle for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. The story. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so when when I, I I arrived, I actually arrived there in in 1990, right? And then when I arrived to the Africa Coast, and I got after getting in touch with my uncle, and I went there. The first two years, you no, know, the first the first year there was no school for the refugees because there was a kind of politics going on. The Ivorian government didn't want to open. Separate school for the Liberian refugees, right? And they wanted for Liberian refugees to enroll in the French school system, which we didn't want to. So eventually, in other nations, like talked to the government, and the government accepted that. So there was there were schools for refugees eventually. Finally, and then I started going to school. I started my sixth grade as a lower elementary, and then from there I got to the high school. And then when I got through with high school, but when we tried before that, when we got there. We were also arrested in the Africa Coast, being a child, and you know, because the mentality at the time was those rebels that had crossed, most of them had crossed from the from the Ivorian Liberian border. So any man coming from the Afri- from, coming from Liberia to the Africa Coast was considered to be part of the rebels. Of course. Yeah. So we were we were. I was one of those. I was arrested. I were. I, I got arrested, and then we were beaten because they found us with with white underpants because they thought that people that were fighting against the government in Liberia, or they were all using underpants, right? So then, whenever you were found with a white underpant, a male, then you were considered to be part of the rebel. Are you kidding me? Uh, 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 that <laughs> this is, is unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> 
So uh, I mean, we got we got we got run it up and we were beaten. So I mean, yes, think that's how things started happening before we started like integrating to the system and then I started going to school. I mean, I got through with school and then I had to leave the village to go to another place to high school. And then I just like that. That's what happened. But it wasn't easy from the beginning. It doesn't yeah. sound like it. And we complain in, in our country when something doesn't go our way, you mm-hmm. know, and there are, I'm so glad that you're bringing this, you know, mm-hmm. this realization. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very moved, and I thank you for sharing this. So let's continue. Um, yes. So in the refugee camp, now were you in the refugee camp at this time when you were being beaten in that, or was this before that? Oh, that was before that. Okay, that was before going to a refugee camp. That was, you know, in the Africans when we moved, when we entered the Africans as Liberian refugees, there were no refugee camps. We we were like we were like in the cities. We were renting houses from the Ivorian people. So there was no refugee camp in the Africans at a time. Okay, but then the problem was there was too much uh, 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 too much harassment against the Liberian refugees. You know, so we we were not well, we were not fully accepted as refugees because anything bad that went on was blamed on the refugees. Okay, of course. Yeah, yes. Any bad thing that happened in the community, refugees were responsible for that. So that was in the refugee camp. That was in real life in the cities, in the villages where we interacted with the Ivorian people. So when this happened, and then I left from the village, but I mean, as time went back, things became better, right? They got used to it, like because we we in Liberia we have Gio, and then in the Africans we have Yakuba. But that those are the same tribal groups. But then when we went, they, it were those people that accepted us, though the government had you know, the largest influence or the biggest influence on the citizens, but we were well accepted and we it was easy for us to interact with them. So that was in the city and the villages, not in the refugee camp. And then uh, I actually left from the Ivory Coast after my high school education, before then I traveled to Danane, which is a provincial capital city as well. And then I went to school after my high school education went right there. That's where I got so much involved into doing the things of God. I became the youth leader, the youth president of our church, of our local church. And then before then I was a, I was a youth secretary after the, after the youth secretary job, I became the youth president. And then after my high school, I had to leave for Guinea. Because after high school, I thought I, I, I had to advance myself because there was no university for refugees. There was no college for refugees. So in, the, in, in Guinea, they have other vocational schools, biblical studies. They have secretarial science. They have computer. So I had to leave in order to travel to Guinea to pursue my education. And were you alone? Yes, I was alone. So coming, I- to Guinea, coming to Guinea, I was alone. But I have... I have my cousin who had also crossed to Guinea two or three years before I left. So he was there. And I, I traveled to him to continue my school in a vocational school. So that was around two, uh, 1998. Around 1998, I traveled to Guinea. And then I, in Guinea, I got involved in a local church activities. 
I was like serving as, as, as an assistant pastor in our local church. And then from there, going to school, doing secretarial science, doing computer, learning French. And then after, while doing that, I was, I was really committed to doing the things of God. I mean, involved in the activities of the church. And then in, after my vocational school, when I learned French, I was hired by the International Rescue Committee. I was, I was responsible for the, for the refugee school system in Guinea. I was hired to teach English in one of the, in one of the, uh, the refugee school system. So I, I started teaching English as well after my vocational school. Now, at what point in your life mm-hmm. did did God become important to you? Like, was what were you were you raised as a Christian, or your grandmother, or your parents, or did this happen was, later in life? I was I was raised as a Christian, uh, not as a real Christian. But my grandmom used to take me to the local church. I mean, it was preached in our local dialect. She used to take me in there every Sunday, but I wasn't a committed Christian child. No. Did but you ever? Then, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where things changed really for me to say, well, I must serve God is when the war came. The, the, the event I told you about living from Liberia to Guinea, there's where I thought, and I said, okay, I have to be serious about Christ. I have to be serious. What my grandmother used to do, taking me to church, it is now that I can demonstrate that. So, and that's where I've been using this this verse, uh, Psalm 37, 23 to 24. The Lord grants success to the one whose behavior he finds comfortable, okay, and commendable. Even if he trips, he will not hear long. He will not fall, all right? Even if he fails, he will never fall. The Lord holds him with his hand. So that was a comfort to you, obviously. Yes, that was my comfort, and that has been my tool throughout my journey. Yeah. So continue mm. then. You yeah. you are now in New Guinea. Yes, I'm now in Guinea and uh, going to school, going to the vocational school at the same time, teaching, and then at the same time involved in a local church. So in Guinea, when I got there, when I arrived in Guinea in 1998, and then 99 came and passed, and then 90, uh, 2000 came, things became difficult for me. But before that time, 1999, I met a woman that is today called my wife, my best friend, my <laughs> to be my everything. She has given me a Two beautiful children, Barnabas and Dorcas. So I'm proud of her. When I met this woman, my life changed for the best. And where did you meet her? I met her in Guinea. Yeah. I met her in Guinea. I had left the Ivory Coast for Guinea. And when I arrived in Guinea in 1998 and 1999, while going to the vocational school, that's where I met this lady. And then when I met her, I asked her, for friendship, right? Oh, I wanted to be, I mean, can we be friends? She said, no problem. We can be friends. We can be friends. And then eventually, so we became friends and we were lecturing. Then she told me, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from the Ivory Coast. She said, oh, my dad. And she has a story as well that she got separated from her dad. So her dad went to the Ivory Coast way. And then I didn't know that it was her dad, even one of my teachers. So she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from the Ivory Coast. She said, oh, but I have, a, I have my dad who's a teacher 
to where you are from. Do you think you know him? What is his name? His name is Moses. Oh, yes, he was my teacher. Oh, he my goodness. French. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so was it love at first sight then? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, things, things, things started becoming better. And then I got to all we got. 1998, when we met, we got married 1999, and that was around the, uh, September 22, and then our first, our first child was born that same year, December, by the name of Dorcas, who is now 15, so things became better, and then, along with her, along with my wife and my little daughter, we started going through struggles as well, 2000, there was a rebel incursion from Liberia into Guinea. Okay, yes. All right. Yes, into Guinea. And then my mom, uh, uh, my, my wife and my daughter, because she was like selling in the local market each morning, she had to leave the house with our daughter to go to the, to the market and then to sell some stuff. And in the evening, she could return home. But then when there was a rebel incursion into Guinea, Liberians were considered to be a part of that. So any man, as, my age at a time was considered as well to be a rebel. Again. Again, this again. again. Yes, once again, Kara. And then I was I was I I went to school. I had left my wife and my kid at home and I went to school. My wife was on her way to the market. She got arrested by the by the militia groups and then she was stripped naked. My daughter was taken from her, put on the other side. She was crying. While they searched my wife for guns and other things. And when they didn't find anything, they let her go. And then while I was coming from school that evening, I got arrested in jail for three weeks. Wow. And what yeah. were you arrested for? Uh, for being a rebel? I wasn't charged. I wasn't charged. The only charge they told me was, you look suspicious. I was considered to be a rebel. Okay. I was, being a Liberian at a time as well, <laughs> I was considered to be a rebel. Yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was jailed without judgment. I was jailed without a proper charge for three weeks. I couldn't get to my wife. I couldn't get to my daughter. And then no mobile phone, no information spread going anywhere to anybody. She was like confused. She didn't know what to do, where her husband was. I mean, she was like waiting for me to tell me what her, her situation when she was on her way to the market. She got arrested, waiting to tell me that her husband is not coming home. Uh. Yeah. So it, it was a problem. And then I was there. So I got released without being, without any judgment taking place after three weeks with no food, with no proper drinking water. I got withdrawn, and then when I left the jail, 2000, and started teaching again. So it was from there, I made up my mind. I told my wife, I said, well, I think we have to do things. There should be better things to do than this. She said, what is it? I said, well, the time has come for us to change things around. And one thing I, I would like for the listeners to know is that as a man, if you have any goal, if you have any purpose in life and you have a partner who shares the same dream with you, you will always be successful. <laughs> yeah, you will. Definitely. You will be successful. And she has been my inspiration. She has been a strong supporter of my dream, my action, and anything that I want to do in life. She has never said no if she believes that it's successful. 
you so have I, a, you have a real yeah. prize, don't you? In yes, her. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. So I'm very proud of her. And then when I told my wife, I said, "Well, things there has to be a better way." She said, "What is it?" I said, "We have to leave for the refugee camp." She said, are you sure it's going to be okay? I said, it's going to be all right. Uh, we hadn't been to refugee camp. We don't know. We didn't know anything about refugee life in a camp. But then going, she said, okay, I agree. Let us go. So and where, on, where did yeah. you go? So we left from the, from the town that we were. From that town, we left on March 22, 2002. And we had to travel like 500 kilometers. That is in Central Guinea. The place is called Dabola. And the refugee camp we were taken to is called Simbakunya. Okay. So my wife, my little daughter at the time, just one, one, yes, approaching of second year, we went to the refugee camp. I had to ask, I, 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 I was teaching when I, when I left from jail. So I had to ask for transfer and they refused it. So I just went, my wife said, okay, let us go and see how things are going to be like. So we went to the refugee camp. Life became another start. So it was another new experience for us. And how did you feel? Did you feel like you you were leaving your past behind you and this was now all going to be better? Or did you still have fear because of everything that you had endured? Yes, I had fear. I had fear, but at the same time, I was hopeful. Good, good. I understand. Yes, yes. I was fear. I was afraid of the past, but in thinking about the future, I was hopeful that there's going to be a better way. Things will not always be the same. If we travel to the refugee camp, you know, things will be better because people are living there. They get full rations. United Nations is helping refugees. So if things, if they are surviving in a camp and no harassment, I mean, it's going to be better with us than to be in a city and we are getting money. We are teaching but then we have been i mean doing things like doing things are happening to us with no justification whatsoever so i think it's better to go there and then she's okay let us go and you were there you were there for a number of years then yes when we went to the to to the refugee camp it was another new thing for us but we we i mean the refugee camp it had like both liberian and sierra leonean refugees Okay, so when we got to refugee camp, they had school, a high school for the Liberian and Israel refugees. So I did apply to become a teacher once again because I carry all my documentations and whatsoever from the previous school. So, but before then, things weren't easy because before I was hired to teach, I was, I became an, a truck unloader. You know, the full rations that was brought that were brought for the refugees, I used to be one of those we called in the porters. I used to go unload a truck with the weeds, with the rice, the beans, and whatever rations that was brought. We were responsible to unload a truck. And then after the full rations was distributed, and then if there was anything left over, we could again load a truck. Hmm. And then yes, in the process of doing that. If you if you worked as a as a porter at a time, I mean there was a little pay, but that that could sustain us. We were grateful for that. Okay, so it's like you weren't giving money, but at least like a two or three cups of rice, two or three cups of beans, two or three you know liters of oil, 
we could use that. So those were the things that were getting were getting in return for our services. I see. Yeah. So you were a rich man. <laughs> yeah, but things. I mean, things. It's were all relative, better. isn't it? I mean, yes, I mean, you it feel does. very wealthy at the time. Yeah, you yeah, know, you yeah. were starting to realize what you had yes. hoped for. Yes, that, yes, that, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes. so, so now you uh-huh. continue. Go ahead. So in that process, in that process, I mean, I was accepted to teach and I started teaching. And then in that process as well, we were going to the church in the camp. And then I was, I was asked to serve as an assistant pastor for the ministry. Okay. And this ministry was 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 serving both the Liberian and the Serena refugees. We had up to three hundred and seventy-five members in the church. We had our room. It was sponsored by the Liberian, uh, sorry, by the American Missionary Society, missionary group. Okay, so they were like sponsoring us. So we had our own library. We had our own catering. We had everything that we needed. So I was serving as an assistant pastor at a ministry in the mission. Yeah, so I had to leave the teaching job to focus on the things of God. So while there, we decided again, having my story, I mean, my story, my father being killed in a war. So I decided, and then my senior pastor said, there's going to be something better you can do. I said, what is that? He said, with your story, you can apply for a political asylum. I said, is it real? He said, yes, it is true. Okay, so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And then I told my wife, Around July of 2002, my wife and I submitted our application for political asylum. When we, when we submitted that, after a few weeks, we got interviewed. And after we got interviewed, we were accepted. We, we would have actually traveled to the U.S. You know, America had come, but then we had to like wait for two months to be, to be, to be verified, right? Yes. In the process, in the process of waiting, Norway came in. Okay, Norway came in and said, "Well, we need, uh, we need at least like five persons in the family, total number of five, to be resettled in Norway." Really? Yeah. So I said, "Wow." So when we were accepted, I said, "Well, you ought to choose to go to Norway, or you you ought to." Still wait to go to America, and then so we like we had no choice, Carol. We had no choice. I mean, men in the refugee come. I mean, you've been struggling throughout your life. There is nothing better you 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 have achieved. You want to do something for your children to be proud of, to show tomorrow when you will live here, because we we know that the question is not about what do you bring when you come here. The question is about what you're going to live here when you go. Wow. So as a as a man, you want to do anything to leave a mark in this world. So that was one of my things. It was one of my thoughts. It was, what can I do that my children will be proud of? Should I remain in this early life and die? Should I be born poor and die poor? And then my generations and the generations to come along this family line will experience the same thing? So I thought I said no. And then when my senior pastor told me that, I did apply. And then, I mean, God, 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 anybody 
that wants to be successful, anybody that wants to do something, put God first in everything that you do. And I'm, I, I am a witness. I'm a living witness to that. Obviously, your whole life. My whole life. My whole life. So I pray to God. And before we submitted this letter, Kara, my wife and I got on our knees and we prayed. We prayed over this letter. Father, this is it. We are in your hands. Let it be done. Let your will be done. Only your will. If it is your will for us to leave this place. Let it be done. If it is not, let it be counseled. But only your will should be done. And then we submitted our letter. The following week, we were interviewed. And things just started happening miraculously. <laughs> yes. I couldn't believe my eyes. I said, my, my wife said, my wife said, is, she said, Daddy, is this real? I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yes. It happened so fast. It happened very fast. So you and, packed up and you left? Yeah, so we were like, okay, I mean, so we were like uh, 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 suffering from a decision because when we started hearing that in Norway you have to learn another language, not English, because in Liberia we speak English and we have a very good relationship with the Americans. So, I mean, coming in a country, in a different country that you have to learn that language, I said, wow, what can we do? And we have no choice. <laughs> Okay, I said, okay, God knows why. So let us go. And then, Kara, on, on the 28th of, of September 2003, the immigration officer came in a camp looking for us. I said, Joseph, your wife and your kids, congratulations. You are leaving tomorrow for Norway. Oh, my word. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what did you do? At the, uh, did you jump up and down? What did you do? Oh, God. <laughs> Kara, it was, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I, I was speechless. Of but I, at the same time, rejoicing in my heart, just praising God. So, I mean, being a, 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 an assistant pastor in a church, I immediately went to the church to bed and to say goodbye. And I went to the elders of the church to tell them thank you for the prayers and the support and everything. Yeah. Have you so, ever Have you ever gone back? Yes, we went back. My wife and I went back for the first time. In 24 years, we went uh, we went back to Liberia in 2013. That was uh, yes, a year ago, a year or two ago. We traveled to Liberia for the first time. And how did that feel? Oh, it was it was good. It was it is it is it is is it was such a feeling that we never felt before, because. All along, we had been on the phone with our people, but to go and see them live and see them face to face, sit with them, eat with them, and chat with them was a wonderful thing. And that's what we've been looking up to before that time. So it was good. It was good. Did any of the old feelings of fear, though, come back? Of course. Of course. It did. It did. We were there. We were there. And then uh, we, we traveled there on the 15th of March. And then around, uh, we had planned to come back at the end of April. But then 
there was a demonstration that, will, that could take place. They said, okay, a demonstration is going to take place against the government. Oh, no. We said, okay, but we can stay here for that. If that is the case, because there was talk all over about it, that it's going to be, it's going to be dangerous, it's going to be deadly. So no, we don't want to live this life anymore. So we had to leave and come back. Yeah. So we did not spend our exact time that we had wanted or we had planned to spend. Yeah. But uh, it was good to go and see my mom and then uh, my, I mean, for my 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 wife to see her people, for me to see my siblings after so many years of separation, after so many years of being apart. I mean, uh, away from each other. So when we met them, I mean, we had a very good feeling. It was good. It was very good to be there after so many years. And what did you do? How did you uh, find a job when you got to Norway? Uh, when we got to Norway, the uh, the system is like you get to Norway, you have to go, you have two years to learn a language. Okay, and then after learning a language for the two years, then of course you can. That is the key to any success in Norway. You must speak the language because that's a language you have to use to communicate. So if you get if you after your after after the uh, the program after the, the introduction program you got the introduction program through which you learn a language after that then you can add up look for a job or you can continue school yeah now are you compensated when you're going to to yeah, yeah, learning yes. the language okay yeah, so yes, they take yeah, care of you yes, okay yes, they okay. take care of you. they take care of your housing they take care of your food they say yes they take care of everything when you are learning a language that's wonderful so yeah, things so, were looking up mm-hmm thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh before then when we got to know it so what my wife and I decided to do we decided to create this, we decided to form this organization that I, I told you about. It's called Give Them Hope. Yes. Please and we thought, yeah. share about that. Yes. Very good. And we thought, well, uh, what can we do? I believe that God brought us here for a purpose. We are, in a way, represent, representation for our people. We are representing them. So, oh, my grandmom passing away in a deplorable condition when she, when she wanted to do something, but she didn't have the means of doing that. She wanted to do something for her grandchild, but the means wasn't available. So I said, okay, we have to form an organization to help people that are hopeless. Yeah. And where were you looking for these people, like in a, a particular uh, part of society or? Um... Yeah. yeah, that it is like uh, people, most of them are people that lost their husbands. Okay. Most of the people that lost their wives in a war, you know, children that lost their parents. And yeah, so that's, and then we try, we created that. We have built, we built a very big clinic. It is in Campley, a place called Campley. That is our, that's the region we are from. And this, this clinic is helping a lot of people today because it, 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 the story is sad, Carol. People have to walk hundreds of miles before they get to the next clinic. And sometimes along the way, pregnant women had to walk to go and deliver in a process they have to they give birth along the way wow no ambulance service there is nothing and where was this again that is in liberia that now. that is back in liberia okay. yes that okay. is back in liberia so okay. we thought well we have to do something we have to give something back for what the lord has done for us 
That's our way of helping those that are in need. We have been there before we know how it is. Yes, of course. Yes. So we created this organization in order to help those people that are in need, helping the children that are out of school, that are finding it difficult with their school fees. We help them out. I mean, we we build a school now in Gunter. It's a high school. It's typically for the children that have no means of enrolling to government school because government schools are all payable. Private schools are payable. So the school is for children that have no means of sustaining themselves. So they enroll there, they cook for them, and they do things for them. That's phenomenal. Yeah. What a heart you have for the for the hopeless. That is yes, just yes, beautiful, yes. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now, are you? Do you go there as well to, um, you know, or is this strictly through funding that you are helping? Or uh, I go there. I go there as well. I go there as well. Yeah, that's what I do. We have we have people. Of course, I'm a I'm I'm a co-founder of the organization. At the same time, I serve as international. Uh, 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 international director of it. So I like, you know, raise phone around from people, from corporate groups, from church groups. And then I have to take them there myself and make sure it is given, it is used for a tender purpose. That's very good to hear yeah. because so mm-hmm. many of these organi- the charitable organizations, you don't know where the funds no, end no, no, up. No. That's very wonderful good. to hear very that good. it's fact, controlled. People- Donors, donors have become so, they have become so critical. Yes. Hard to get because of the story behind the non-profit organizations. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what kind of assurance do you give that the money that they give will actually get to the cause? Do they just have a trust in you? Is that what you've built? Yes. What I do is that if I carry the phone given because it's like we write a project proposal, the, pro- the project proposal is submitted, and then when a phone is given, I go use the phone and try to come back and take some of them in fact for the side viewing for them to go and monitor to see what the money has been used for. We make videos, we take pictures and take pictures of the project, videos of the project and submit them to people that have given their money and then the monitors come from those organizations to go and monitor to see what the money has been used on. Excellent. You've got that. Yeah. You are mm. very well in control. I'm glad yeah, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Now, what so, about the prison uh, ministry? That you yes, have? the prison ministry that I'm on, I'm doing now. What I do is that uh, I speak with my story because I believe that people in the Western world have a lot of opportunities that people in Africa do not have. Some people in Africa do not have. Let me make that distinction. Right. Yes. Uh, I go to those prisons using my, 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 my self-motivation, my experience to motivate those people. Some of them are drugs addicts, some of them are child molesters, some of them are sexual abusers. And I mean, so I use my expertise in talking to them that they should look beyond. Their present state of mind. They should look beyond their present situation and condition and believe that if they can change, then their future can change. So you're counseling them as well. Yes, I'm counseling them. I'm preaching to them. I'm 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 inspiring them. I'm motivating them. And what kind of results have you seen? Oh, the results have been tremendous. 
very, very encouraging. It makes me want to do more. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah, good yeah, to yeah, hear. Yes. And that's, that's, that's just the kind of person I am, Kara. Uh, uh, I like to give if I have it. Well, that's yeah. very obvious. That yeah, is so very my obvious. thinking is, if if I can use my expertise, if I can use my past story, my life story to change another person's life for the better, I thank God for that. If it is just a single person whose life will be changed for the better, that will say tomorrow, oh yes, it was Joseph. It was because of his inspiration. It was because of his counseling. It was because of his teaching that my life became better. I will be proud of that. And as well, you should be. Now, what yes. to, what tools do you we need to? Um, I think we're going to need to have to speak to you again because I know there's more to the story that we need to hear. <laughs> this, is, this has been wonderful. But one of the things I want you to to uh, leave us with is, obviously, you've been through a tremendous amount of variety of experiences mm-hmm. in the area of fear and loss and mm-hmm. you know lack. And yes. yet you have become successful. So mm-hmm. what tools can you give the average mm-hmm. person now in, in the Western world that mm-hmm. um, to help them cope with the stresses that they come up against and also to, to keep them motivated to realize the success that they have set out their, their uh, minds okay. to accomplish? Okay. Yes, the tools, some of those tools that I want to give, I like – Personal motivation, you have to first believe in yourself and improve your self-confidence. You have to enhance your self-discipline, okay, and set examples for others. And you have to also set examples for yourself because before you set examples for others, you're also setting that for yourself. And know that what you have today, you might not have it tomorrow. And use the little that you have today. I mean, we say in Europe, when, when unemployment rate, we are talking about uh, unemployment rate is like 15%. Unemployment rate has gone to 9%. Think about Africa. So in my country, Liberia, unemployment rate is about, the rate is about 80%. Wow. Think about it. So I say, use whatever you have now. Make use of this opportunity because what? For you, we believe you are born with silver spoon in your mouth. You are there to do what you can to make your life change. You have the tools. You have the means. Because I have also been knowing that the road to success lies along the path of decision and up the hill of the endeavor and across the bridge of patience. You have to be what? Patience. And you have to be decisive and decide that I'm going to do this. And once you decide it, I have a common way of saying, if you can think it, then you can achieve it. If you can think about something in life, once you have that thought, then it means it's possible. It's there with you to utilize that thought and make it happen. If you think it, you can achieve it. You can achieve it, right. So you keep focused on that positive thought. Yes, that you have. I mean, some of them have their grandmoms. They have their grandparents around. They have their moms around. They have their siblings around. And some of us do not have those, yet we survive it. 
As I speak to you, I do not have my mom here. My siblings are not here. The same thing with my wife. We are the two persons from each of those families. None of them, none of them are here. We are here alone. And yet we make use of the opportunity that we have. And you will have many rewards in this life and the next. Amen. As a result of all your efforts, your Thank love you. for people, Thank um, you. your attitude, you know, yeah. what you have accomplished, what you're going to accomplish. Yes. I mean, my, I applaud you, Joseph. I think this has been a phenomenal story. I'm hoping <laughs> that my listeners will give a lot of food. You've given yeah. a lot of food for thought, and yeah. I hope that they take that. And, and dwell on it and realize that no matter what they are going through in their life, you mm-hmm. can rise up above anything. Yes. Anything. 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 And that is a strong message. And I thank you. We are definitely going to have to speak with you again. No and problem. And see Carl. what is going on, you know, maybe next year. It mm-hmm. would be wonderful. I appreciate so much you taking the time today to share your story. On your website that I'll be making up for you, there will be all your contact information, including, you know, if people want to make donations. And mm-hmm. I think that would be wonderful. And will. we will put all that together. And I thank you again, Joseph. This has been wonderful. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to share? Yes. Uh, how Well, the last thought is just for me to say thank you as well for giving me this opportunity because like not everybody has the means of having this kind of opportunity to speak to people like you. I really appreciate what you do. And uh, I thank you for believing in me and uh, wanting to hear my story. I thank you for that. So the last thought to my people and our listeners would be like, there is too much in the future that we can achieve. There is too much waiting for us. It is only left with us to rise above the occasion and try to go and get it because I believe we're all placed in this world to do something. (laughs) Yes, we are here for a purpose, not by accident. That if we refuse to do what we were sent here to do, the next world will hold us responsible. And it is a debt that we must pay. That's a good way of looking at it. Yes. Thank I would you. like say that again. I, I'm writing as you're talking, and it was so good. Just uh, say that again. Yes, I'm saying that we have a love that is going for us in the future. It is not with us to rise above the occasion and grab what is supposed to be ours. Because life, again, is like a battleground. It's a battlefield. Everybody is fighting to get its own space. If you refuse to fight, someone else will take your space. And we are all we're all brought here, I believe, in this world for a particular purpose, not by accident. And we were brought here to do something. And what we have to do is what we have to do. Is what we have been sent here to do. So we must do it. If we don't do that, we owe it. It is a debt. And the next world will judge us for that. 
That's a very unique way yes. of looking at it. That yes, is Sarah. excellent. Okay, I can't wait to get this <laughs> online and and share it with with everyone. This has been phenomenal. Okay. You Thanks, are Sarah. precious. You are just precious to us, and I thank you for uh, sharing that story and you, and Kyle. the heart that you have for not mm-hmm. only your own people but for just mm-hmm. people in general. Yes. Thank you, Joseph, and Thanks we look so forward much, to hearing more good things from you. No problem. Anytime, Kara. Thank you and goodbye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.